Welcome to Ballistic Radio. Join us as we explore the subtlety and nuance inside the world of personal protection. Listen as industry experts, thought leaders, and pioneers investigate why it depends is the answer of champions. Ballistic Radio, critical thought over empty rhetoric. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance. Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at bigtechsordinance.com. And now, here's your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at BigTechsOrdinance.com. I'm your host, John Johnston. My parents must have been really bored. Why do I have the same first and last name? Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other things at facebook.com slash ballistic radio so we've got a new uh, um new show not format necessarily but we're doing this a little bit differently i don't know if y'all have noticed but there's been like this weird uh bug going around and it's really really been difficult to uh you know go places and do things but we should be up and running and i am super excited to welcome back to the show one of my good friends and uh just you know all around awesome dude even if he carries his gun in the wrong position no he doesn't he's fine uh joining me it's john hearn let's see if he unmutes himself hey how's it going hey man i can't click buttons it's okay it's okay i usually have a producer for this sort of thing and you know we're kind of we're we're i have a producer but he's not here and we're it it's just all new. It's all new. But uh, to be fair, we're both the kind of people that benefit from adult supervision. So um, there is, yeah, a- at least at least one or two adults. Um, but oddly, as I slowly approach forty, and yes, I know I'm younger than you, uh, but it's becoming more and more apparent to me that at some point I should probably, you know, throw out those Peter Pan ideas that I have and just, you know, come to grips with the fact that. I'm getting older, but uh, for those that don't know, man, who are you? What do you do? And we'll hop right in. All right. Uh, my name is John Hearn. Um, kind of have this multi-path career going on. Uh, been a law enforcement officer since 1992. Uh, been involved in private sector training since the very late 90s. Uh, staff instructor with Range Master uh, since 2001. Uh, I geek out on a lot of gun-related subjects, so I've been speaking and researching uh, since about 2005 as well. So uh, a treasure trove of knowledge of interest to a very small amount of people. I think that that's one of those things where it's not necessarily of interest to a small amount of people uh, so much as you fall prey to the same thing that most the really, really knowledgeable, really skilled guys that I know do. and that is the whole um the way that cool people self-promote is not necessarily the way that uh really amazingly internet famous people self-promote i don't know though that's just just kind of my thought but um i guess the first thing that i'd like to talk to you about is hard and soft skills that's sort of a term that gets thrown around a lot But I don't know, and I strongly suspect that 
not all of our listeners know what we're talking about when we use that term. So I was wondering if you could break it down and then we'll get further into it. So uh, hard and soft skills is a term that I, I believe comes from the unemployment world, like we're going to hire people. And especially comes out of the IT world. And hard skills uh, are things you actually physically do, knowledge you possess, um, whether it's how to program a code or how to draw a pistol very quickly and efficiently. Those, those are hard skills. They tend to be a little bit more on the objective side. You know, we, we can measure them, that sort of a thing, as opposed to soft skills, which are our ability to interact with others. That would be a great way, I guess, to, to capture a lot of what we're talking about in terms of soft skills is it's everything else besides, you know, it's a lot of the stuff other than actually the motor program for shooting the gun. Um, how well you can muck, to use Craig Douglas's term for managing unknown contacts, that's very much a soft skill. And uh, it's like the, uh, I, I refer to it as the vegetables on the side of your plate that nobody wants to eat, but you really, really should. So it's uh, the stuff that we don't necessarily uh, have the cool sex appeal. You're not going to be an Instagram star because of your great soft skills, but they'll probably get you further than just about anything else. Well, and that's one of those things where it seems like our industry specifically, well, not all of our industry, but a lot of our industry and a lot of the people that first become interested in our industry sort of become very fascinated with the hard skills, you know, the sub-second draw, the whatever it is, or, you know, the gear that, okay, gear is not a hard skill, but it sort of falls into the same category almost. This is a definable thing, a tangible thing that I can touch and look at and geek out over. But, and you sort of alluded to this, that's probably not where most people should be focusing. Well, they should focus there eventually, but it's probably not necessarily where they should even start out. There's just some more basic considerations um, that you should probably be wrapping your head around um, before you worry about other stuff. So um, I, I claim very little originality for inventing anything relately, remotely related to this, you know, the trading industry. One of the few concepts I think I can claim as my idea is this idea of pro-social violence. And, and pro-social violence to me is lawful moral violence in the service of good. And we live in a culture nowadays that's completely estranged from violence. We seem to, by default, assume that any violence that occurs is bad. And that we don't, you know, a lot of people struggle with the idea that, you know, bad things happening to bad people isn't an acceptable outcome. So something as simple as getting your head around the fact that the world is not as we would like it to be, right? That's a fairly basic acceptance that you should really be building kind of your whole self-defense platform on. Because if you don't accept the fact that there really is evil out there and that it's appropriate to use force to thwart it, then everything else you're doing is just window dressing. So if that's the first place that people need, I don't know that they need to even start there necessarily, because I've met all sorts of people that didn't come to that conclusion until after they were introduced to this sort of thing. But it's certainly something that probably needs to happen somewhere along the way, I guess. Well, I think it's something you have to think about. So for instance, you need to figure out whether you can actually do violence to others. And there are, you know, there's a lot of things you can do in the self-defense realm that don't require the use of deadly force. You know, just simply getting your head out of your butt knowing who's around you and what you're doing goes a long, long way. So just simply accepting the fact that the world is not as we would like it to be and that we need to take certain reasonable precautions, that takes you a long way down the path you need to go. Much more than necessarily heading for the one-second draw stroke right out of the gate. Right. And it strikes me too, and I saw a Facebook post from a buddy of mine that was 
essentially congratulating and uh, not not a buddy of mine. I've never met him in person, but I've known him. I've had him on the show way back when in the first season um, that had uh, survived a, a shooting, uh, won a shooting a uh, number of years ago, and he was doing his yearly r- ritual to commemorate that. And he said something along the lines of that we do a bad job of celebrating wins. And then it occurred to me, and I was thinking about society, that society in general does a bad job of celebrating wins unless it is the people that are allowed to win. Like, you know, athletes are allowed to win. Uh, Certain other, but for the most part, winning is something that society is slowly programming people to feel bad about, at least from where I'm sitting and maybe, you know, maybe I'm full of crap, but it's just kind of something I've been thinking about a little bit, you know, and I think it comes back to the, you know, what we're ultimately asking ourselves is who's the victim. Right. And that's something that we've been arguing about realistically since about 2015, starting in Ferguson, right. Is that who is the victim? You know, we, you know, there's a certain standpoint that says the officer that the, and we both knew who we're talking about, right. Um, that he was the, you know, one view is that he is the, um, the the victim of a vicious aggravated assault in which somebody shot him in the face with the 45 and that was kind of the clue that the, the the fight was going that the officer was the victim and he was able to triumph over that there's also a segment of our population that says no 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 the officer isn't the the victim he's he's the perpetrator in this and that's one of those fundamental distinctions we have to figure out as to who is the good guy and who is the bad guy before we can really go very far down any roads as far as you know decisions we're going to implement actions we're going to take well, and I wonder too that um, <clears throat> something that I've been talking about with Melody Lauer, you know, my um, the much one of the much more intelligent members of Citizens Defense Research. I'm I'm the least intelligent of the three of us, uh, but I was I was having a conversation with her, and something we were talking about is even the concept of good or bad, like assigning a moral component to it. Um, where I think long-term can be problematic, even if morally some of the actions are good or are bad, but we could look at it just from the standpoint of the behaviors, like what behavior in the moment and starting to think of it that way and removing that good and bad aspect from it. Do you think that that would maybe help clarify for people, you know, the... who the victim is or isn't in a situation like maybe some people are hung up on the morality of something, or maybe some people are looking at, you know, someone that does a terrible thing, but they know them as a great person can't think of them as a bad guy. And again, uh, random stream of consciousness. Uh, I'm recording this episode much later than I usually do. And my meds have worn off. So, you know, it, it could be crap, but what, what do you think? Let me offer the, the disclaimer that I am still positive for COVID and um, I'm suffering from the effects of cough medicine to, to thwart some of that. So I guess we both have our alibis going here. Good. I think good. that from a, from a tactical analysis point, I think our friend Will Petty does that. He goes, let's not look at um, good guy, bad guy titles. Let's look at which tactics um, prevail the day, right? Forget you know, whether it was a good guy or the bad guy that was more tactically sound. What did they do that allowed them to win? And I think that from a certain standpoint, 
that's useful because you're just saying, hey, what are the what what behaviors tend to have the greatest probability of success? On the other hand, um, you know, I think there are people that um, because of cultural indoctrination really struggle with that question of, you know, hey, if somebody's breaking into my house, if somebody's trying to rape me, you know, that, you know, what makes my life more valuable than other persons? And that's where I mean, that's kind of to me, that's kind of the point of morality to a certain degree is that you get to label some things as good, you know, some things as bad, some things as right or some things as wrong. And I think that having some moral framework to hang your actions around is almost uh, essential uh, for you to be able to make good decisions. Hmm. Well, I got more questions about that, but we're at the end of the first segment. Uh, Right now we're talking with John Hearn and you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordnance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at BigTechsOrdnance.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the X9 series of firearms, which offers discriminating shooters, 1911 match-grade accuracy, superior ergonomics and concealability with modern service pistol capacity as well as reliability at wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with John Hearn and somehow we've gotten onto the topic of morality and how that plays into, I guess, examining tactics, training people to value their own lives enough to save themselves from violent criminal actors um, it's always a wild ride when we both talk to each other, but it, you said something and, and brought up Will Petty, who I've known for a little while now and uh, would consider a good friend and something about how he does a really good job of examining tactics uh, with morality removed and just seeing which tactics are more successful or not successful. And something that I would like to ask you about is, are there tactics that are employed by violent criminal actors that are harder or impossible for, again, I don't like using the moral, you know, uh, title here, but is, is hard for good guys to do. What, what is the difference there tactically? Well, I think that um, because the bad guys don't have the concerns about the legalities, um, a lot of the rules that we try to respect simply aren't on the table for them. Uh, mm-hmm. When you look at the FBI data on criminal assaults, um, that most bad guys tend to win fights by delivering a large volume of fire toward an opponent. They'll get any hit on that person, typically to an extremity or something like that. And then when once they've wounded the person, they'll close with them and destroy them. And, you know, maybe getting shot in the leg isn't that big of a deal. But when dude strolls up to you and puts five in your head, well, that tends to, to, to really ruin things. And that willingness to discharge a large, you know, amount of rounds in an open space without regards for who may be downrange, that's a valid tactic for a bad guy. Sure. And, and let's be honest, Joe, what we're essentially, you know, describing in some ways um, is, is cover fire, right? The problem is, are there uh, some rural applications, some rural areas where that might be a good tactic for the uh, the good guys? Yeah, but those places are few and far between, you know, so there's just certain things that bad guys do as far as, you know, uh, adjusting proximity to maximize their benefits, 
um, just their whole criminal selection process that, you know, as a good guy, we certainly want to be aware of, but we probably shouldn't, you know, necessarily be predating ourselves. Do you think that there is a way, so essentially what you're talking about is violence of action and aggressiveness. Um, Sort of, or, or at least a component of it. And do you think that that is something that people can learn or is that just something that people have? Well, I think there's, uh, you know, that's only we're talking about human nature. You know, are there certain people that um, are more naturally wired that way? Yeah, absolutely. There are some people, but that's the whole purpose of training is to kind of change how you orient with the world. Uh, you know, we did the, the great class and my friends and I went out to see Larry Mudgett. And that was one of his quips throughout the class is that we train to overcome habits. So you may have these, you know, default things the way you prefer to do them, but ultimately have to make decisions about what we're doing in the world and make sure we're actually doing the right things as part of that. <clears throat> and uh, I was going you know, to, to, to not riff off there real quick, you know, what you're talking about, you know, we always talk about surprise, speed, and violence of action. Those are the, the classic kind of three from the military paradigm. And, you know, a large volume of uh, fire downrange certainly goes toward, you know, violence of action as far as that goes. And we, and we see again and again in conflict that that's a pretty good strategy just because, it, you know, it tends to, to force your opponent into the emotional mind and makes it harder for the opponent receiving that to, to deliver a rational response themselves. So it, it's a very good tactic. There's just a, a, the good guys are always going to be more constra- uh, constrained as far as where they can deliver that. Sure. And that makes sense. Um Man, I want to. I'm trying to decide if I want to follow this thread a little bit more or segue back into the hard and soft skills discussion. Let's segue back, and then maybe we'll. This this might come back up. Um. So, as far as the soft skills go, and I know that you are teaching a cognitive pistol class now. That. Uh, sort of it's my understanding talks about essentially how to think with a gun in your hand and that strikes me as much more of a focus on soft skills now there's not a ton of that though inside of this and a lot of the soft skills that people are taught seems kind of ancillary to the hard skills the classes are focused on um so i don't know if i heard a question there or not well, um, there, there was a question mark at the end of that, but it was more of an open-ended statement because I consider you more intelligent than me. And I was hoping you would just like pick up my slack and like carry the show for the next, you know, 90 to 120 seconds. Like every other appearance. I got yes. you. That's what we're doing. Okay. Yes, gotcha. yes, yes. Well, well and I think there's different degrees. So I think the, you know, the problem with just a purely hard skills class is that you get a false sense about what's important. You know, the, the fact that, you know, the beep is coming, you've got a pre-planned response in your head and you can kind of sit there and front load that response. And as soon as you get the right stimulus, um, which is going to be an audio stim, you know, go signal, that kind of stuff. It's very easy to generate a level of skill. You just don't see in the real world. So um, uh, I don't want to name names, but, you know, I've had some people that you and I would both recognize in classes and what I, I love to do is place people under cognitive load. And it really is interesting to see people who 
um, are remarkably good shooters, guys who can consistently de- you know, develop or deliver, I'm sorry, a sub-second presentation when they actually have to parse information, incoming information, and only deliver a response when the right situations are there and present, that really slows everybody down. And, you know, a lot of my class is kind of, artif- I call it artificial cognitive load. Uh, but that's the kind of stuff we're going to be dealing with in the real world. In the real world, you'll be struggling with the standards. You know, have I have, you know, do we have ability, opportunity, and jeopardy here? You know, I mean, all the things that I have to use to be able to justify deadly force. So in the real world, there's a lot more, um, the decisions are far more complex and more subject to rapid change than simply waiting for the, uh, the beep of a timer to initiate your draw stroke. That's for sure. Well, and that seems to be a common thing that people fight about on the internet is, you know, you start talking about like uh, splits and shots and stuff like that. And, you know, people will battle to the death. And it strikes me that, and this has been said so many other times, so I don't even know why I'm bothering, but I'll say it again, that training for like the sub-second draw, if that's something you want to do, is perfectly fine. But just understanding that as you bring the level of technical skill up, you should probably be working on the, if you're interested in self-defense, working on the soft skills, at least maybe even an equal amount or maybe depending on what your focus is slightly under, but like you should be working those too. Right. Well, I think that, you know, we, you know, I think that we both coined this term of the holistic approach and we have to remember is that, you know, the gun itself is a piece of life-saving emergency equipment and the number of situations in which it's the appropriate tool is fairly small. You know, the gun's a lot like a parachute, you know, there's Mm -hmm. very few situations where you need a parachute, but if you need one, you need one really, really badly. So I think what we have to do is reach a point of acceptable confidence with the, with the pistol, with the hard skills and stuff like that, and then make sure that we maintain that skill. But, you know, we kind of want to figure out where those points of dimin- major points of diminishing returns are. And once we have a, a robust, you know, draw stroke, once we can deliver the, you know, to reasonable standards, then we make sure that the other areas that we need to be thinking about, whether that's physical fitness, whether it's empty hand skills, whether it's medical, making sure those, uh, you know, parts of our toolkit are there as well. You know, it's not, uh, you, can, you can't you can just set it and forget it. You always are going to have to do some work to keep those skills there. But, you know, just because you can get the gun out of the holster and deliver a hit in a second doesn't know, doesn't, that does not mean you're going to know when to do that. And a lot of times you're better off with maybe a, a draw stroke that's maybe a quarter second longer, but you can process information more quickly. You know, if you have a, if one guy has a, a one second draw stroke and the other guy only has a one and a half second draw stroke, but the slower guy can think a, a full second ahead, um, maybe, uh, you know, has done the mental math development, has his recognition, prime decision-making all set up and ready to go. If he can recognize, oh, I'm going to need my gun and get this one second head start. All of a sudden, you know, those differences in hard skills, um, can be to a large degree, um, almost made up for with the proper soft skills. And, and just to repeat that in case people didn't hear it, essentially what you're saying is, you know, if you're comparing a guy with a one second draw stroke to one and a half second draw stroke, yeah, Okay on paper, the guy with the one second draw stroke is going to beat him every time. But if the guy with the one and a half second draw stroke starts the draw a second before the other guy, he's going to win is essentially what yeah. you just said. Yeah. And, that, and we tend to obsess about, you know, you know, Jeff Cooper called it preoccupation with preoccupation with insignificant increments. You know, if, you know, somebody has a one second draw stroke and somebody has a 1.2, because we can quantify time, 
we go, oh, wow, this guy must be much better. Well, realistically, if we were to both, you know, on the same signal, draw and shoot each other, our bullets would pass in the air in each other. So, you know, you don't want to win fights by a 0.2 seconds. We need to set ourselves up so we're winning by, you know, two, three seconds or, or better yet, realize what's coming down the road and maybe just try to be somewhere else. If that's what your life mission dictates is the, the best option for you. Sure. As far as... Here's an off the wall question. Um, I, I immediately like can sense you going, oh, is, are there any <clears throat> concepts that you see people commonly struggle with that you wish you could just like shake them and get them to understand it to set them on a better path sooner? whether they're they're new to all this or have been doing it a long time, is there just like one piece of this that like you see everyone sort of not get right away or maybe never get? So, yeah, I mean, the, so the one immediately jumps to mind and this is a, this is a different bunny trail. I like bunny trails though. And I like bunny. So let's do this. Uh, well, wait we, a second. You know, I, I did this horribly. Hold that thought because again, I got excited because I'm talking to you and then it, I just I just looked at the clock and I'm like, oh crap, it's the end of the segment. Uh hold that thought. And and I'm so sorry. I'll try not to do this to you again. Right now, we're waiting for John Hearn to answer with a really amazing answer. And you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend not just an order. Visit them online at BigTexOrdinance.com. This segment also brought to you by Big Tex Ordinance. Big Tex Ordinance is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the candela from Modlight at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and now you need an optic on your pistol? Well, Big Tex Ordinance has those and they don't judge. Glock accessories? Yes, fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, Big Tech's ordinance has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike. And you'll like Ike, too. Visit BigTechsOrdinance.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So I asked you at the tail end of the last segment um, what the one thing was that you could just, like, shake in the people. And you're like, oh, yeah, I got something. I'm like, hold that thought and go all right so the the one thing that i wish more people got was this concept of recency and recency is the effect that the last time you practiced a motor skill or any really any skill um how well the next time you can access it is and there is literally i mean it's not like there's one study that shows it or like there's you know a handful it, it doesn't matter what the domain is whether it's putting on a gas mask tank crew preparedness dropping bomb accuracy uh if you're committed if you're a surgeon cutting on people you know the last time you practice a skill is hugely predictive of how well you'll do it in the real world and i can't tell you how many times i've seen people in class they'll show up you'll work with them really hard they'll get up to a decent you know point in their development they'll be doing pretty good by the end of the weekend and then you'll see that person a year or two later and they'll be in another class and they literally have not practiced since the last class and they are right back at ground zero and you know uh, just that need to do continuous 
ongoing skill training. You know, we've got to build the motor skill. We've got to keep it from going away. And in a perfect world, we need to automate that motor skill. So, you know, the, the classic analogy is, you know, you make a down payment on the house, but if you don't make your monthly payments, you're going to end up losing the house. So if there's just one thing I can get across to people, it's like, look, dude, you've got to have a plan for skill sustainment. And in my mind, that's one of the, the ways you can tell a credible program is that, you know, if, if a program includes when you're in class and stuff like that, if they teach you how to sustain the skills they're teaching you, that, that program has a lot of credibility. And uh, just as a shameless plug, um, I've been horrible about this, but I actually do have a uh, YouTube channel. There's not a single video up there, but, you know, I've got like a basically a free dry fire tool I've been using for years and it's, it's free. You know, it's a, it's a good gateway drug into dry practice. And, you know, my thought is, is, you know, when you take a class from me, uh, I'll eventually be able to go, hey, just go look at the YouTube video. This is how you sustain the skills. So, you know, that skill sustainment, making sure the skills are recent in your mind is, is, is one of the few things that people really, really appreciate. And it's also one of those areas where we just have, I mean, a metric boatload of data and research to support that idea, you know, just from every possible world that you can imagine. That's just one of those things that uh, it's, it's, it's irrefutable, but most people like to ignore it because it's an unpleasant reality. Well, and I'll here, I'll admit to something on the show. Um, I have not been super interested in developing my um, technical shooting uh, passwords at for a number of years. Uh, used to be super important to me. I'm a lot more focused on other things right now. And the only reason I say that is to say the only thing that I have personally done to do any sort of maintenance work is when I put a gun on, I draw it like four, five, six times, you know, in a safe direction. Um, and, and I live surrounded by safe directions, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, not, not giving myself any trigger presses, not coming anywhere near the trigger. I'm just practicing the movement of drawing the gun. And while I'm certainly not at the highest level of performance that I've ever been, I haven't lost too many steps either. And that's pretty much been the only maintenance that I've done. And it's been pretty handy. And that's kind of what you're talking about as far as recency goes. Yeah. Well, that's part of it also goes with how well the motor programs, the skills were developed to begin with. Okay. So you have to remember is that anybody that can shoot really, really well, they do that as a result of um, long-term physical changes to the brain. If you do it well enough, you can actually make the changes almost permanent so that very little maintenance is required to keep them there. You know, the, uh, I don't know if the analogy actually holds, but they talk about the example of a rocket ship blasting off, you know, uh, you know, the first couple of feet that rocket moves is, is requiring an incredible amount of energy, but as time goes on, that picks up speed and eventually that, you know, that rocket will escape earth's orbit. And then it takes very minimal um, energy to keep that up there where it needs to be. And I think that's where a lot of people's, you know, if they practice enough, uh, that's where their skills can be. Cause, um, and, you know, not to like go into like a, uh, um, I don't want to say this, like a penis measuring contest here. Right. But I mean, you've got a turbo pin that is not a mediocre level of skill. That's a very high level of skill. So if you've been able to produce turbo pin results, mm-hmm. you have a very high level of skill and you can kind of slack off and you're going to be, you know, better than, you know, 97% of the gun carrying public out there. Can but I, can, that's because, again, you did a lot of work to get there. I was going to say, can I humble brag for a second? I like, want, you go right ahead, sir. 
I I actually have two of them. So oh, there you go. So, but and it, no, I I get I get what you're saying. Um, and <clears throat> I the only thing that I was trying to say with that is, and, and you said it much better than I did is essentially the idea that once you get to where you want to be at, if where you wanted to be at was actually a high level, and that's an entirely separate conversation because a lot of people have very low standards for themselves uh, as far as what they push themselves to and what they think they're capable of. But um, I was going to say is that once you get to that level, it doesn't take nearly as much to maintain it, at least in my experience. And, And you said all that. So thank you. Um, and all that to say is that, you know, if, if you're chasing certain things because you want to accomplish them, that's awesome. And if that gives you meaning and value, that's great. But looking at some of the stuff that, you know, you're not good at and, and figuring out how to work on those things, probably important too. Now, as far as let me ask you this. Can you think of any real world incidents that really highlight the difference between, you know, the hard skills and soft skills as far as who, who won, who lost? Um, or is, is that putting you two on the spot? No, um, I'm just trying to think. So, you know, I think when, uh, an example that immediately pops to mind would be the Newhall shooting, right? When we go back and we look at Newhall through the lens of the research we have now, you know, we, we, we can say with a fair degree of certainty, not to certainly trash talk the dead, but that, you know, one of the officers in the initial exchanges of that event would be recognized by the FBI, their, their profile of officers likely to be killed, assaulted in the line of duty. So, you know, because he um, did not assume that he was potentially facing a life and death decision, those soft skills laid, led him to make a series of decisions that put him in such a hole that there was no amount of hard skills that could save him. You know, by the time you've got your, your strong hand tied up with a shotgun that's pointed straight up in the air and you tie up your other hand uh, with a doorknob, uh, if that bad guy chooses to assault you, uh, you're pretty much at his mercy. So that's the, you know, one of the immediate, the, you know, areas to answer that question about where, you know, the soft skills failed that, you know, there was no amount of hard skills that was going to save those people. I think that, you know, Newhall is a great example of that. Um, people just assuming that, um, People don't have, they may never encounter somebody with benevolent intent. You know, that's why if you're a law enforcement officer, you have a badge and a gun for a reason. There are, there are evil men out there and, you know, part of your job is to confront them. So uh, you better be accepting of that fact. And if you don't, it tends to have the same um, sadly tragic consequences again and again and again. Right. Can you think of, um, so that's an example of where soft skills really failed someone and, you know, they died. Can and again, I'm putting you on the spot. So, you know, if, if you can't, I, I apologize. But can you think of any instance where soft skills significantly overcame hard skills? So um, uh, two things that kind of pop into mind there, right? Um, uh, they're very similar. And I'll just try to pick one here. So um, Lance Thomas was a uh, owner of a, he was a watch repairman and watch salesman out in uh, L.A., uh, during a time that you know his neighborhood was going really, really badly. And he almost died in the, the first armed robbery, barely survived. 
And then after that, he went through a series of steps um, that really allowed him to do remarkably well on down the road. And when you watch the interview on him, he says that, you know, he did three things. And yes, he did go to the range, but that was just part of it. You know, he said he also went to the gym regularly and he worked out the likely scenarios he was going to have to face. So, you know, that's the great thing about, you know, having a fixed uh, business. You can pretty much build all the mental maps you're going to need well in advance. You know, that, that, that game, pl- uh, that strategizing and figuring out what you're going to do well in advance, that's part of those soft skills. That's part of that mental preparation, um, preparing the mental terrain for, you know, getting the body ready for what it's going to have to do. So there's, there, you know, most of the time, uh, the winners, when we look at gunfights, if we actually delve into them at more of a personal level, we see a lot of the soft skills we're talking about um, in this process, um, you know, rearing their heads as well. Like it can either work for or against you, uh, depending on how the fates are stacking up. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we have to go to break and then I will have more inane questions for our esteemed guest. John Hearn, uh, whom is who we're talking to and who you're listening to and blah, 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 ballistic radio. We're going to break now. Welcome back to ballistic radio brought to you by big text ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at big So we're talking with John Herm, and I'm asking all sorts of really random questions, and I apologize. Hopefully, people get something out of this, and they're not like, geez, John is me, John, not you, John. Doctor? Doctor. Um, he's really off his game tonight. Uh, but the, I guess the next thing that I wanted to ask you, sort of along the this, this same vein of questioning, same line of questioning, is... You know, for people that are interested in protecting themselves, have made the decision that their life is worth protecting. And, you know, if somebody tries to kill them, that, well, they shouldn't have done that. Uh, Where, you know, if they can't make it to class, if they can't, you know, spend thousands of dollars or become like a training junkie or a hobbyist, um, you know, someone you coined that phrase a number of years ago and i think they kind of meant meant it insulting but i actually think it's pretty accurate like if someone's just like a regular person wants to spend a little bit of time on this stuff what where should they spend that time so you know at a certain point you need to develop you know the hard skills you need to have somebody show you how to you know the properly present the pistol the fundamentals of marksmanship that kind of stuff but, you know, you just need to realistically, if, if you do that, if you get good, solid training and then just follow up on that training with regular drive practice, you're going to be fine. You know, um, uh, if you think about somebody that, you know, I think Cooper opened gun sight in either 76 or 77. And what they taught in, in those late 70s was a, we would almost think of it as kind of antiquated. But if you had had somebody that had been practicing those skills they had been given, you know, however many 30, 40, 50 years ago if they were still practicing those skills on a regular basis, they would be a very dangerous person. They wouldn't have to be going to class every weekend in order to do that. So, you know, at some point you have to come um, the piece with the hard skills, the, the actual, you know, pressing triggers, but there's a lot of stuff that comes before that, that is, you know, shouldn't cost a lot of money. So whether it's doing all the, um, I'm not sure how to like the preparation 
right? So for instance, something as simple as developing grip strength. Um, you can simply squeeze your steering wheel really hard going down the road. That's a form of isometric workout and you can develop your grip strength. Uh, there's all kinds of exercises you can do as you're driving to develop your eyes. So for the person that can't be a training junkie, right? You need to look at the opportunities you can to get the freebies, you know, whether it's grip strength, developing your eyes. Uh, one of the things I've stumbled across lately is uh, balance seems to be hugely predictive of success in shooting. And the nice thing about some of these things is they have carryover to um, uh, carryover benefits for the rest of your life. So, you know, as you inevitably age, you know, fear of falling, breaking hips and stuff like that is very much a concern, just as, you know, probably arguably more so than being the victim of an armed robbery. So something is, is, you know, kind of, you know, out there is, you know, simply being able to stand with your eyes closed and, and balance can have huge lifelong benefits. And that doesn't cost any money. That just takes a commitment that, I, hey, I'm going to practice this stuff and I'm going to get better at it. Um, talk more about this because I have not, this is new to me. Uh, balance is highly predictive of who wins. Gunfights. Well, so it's uh, so there's what I think of it as necessary preconditions, right? So an example of that is that Carl Rand has really good data that says you need at least a hundred pounds of crush grip strength to run a um, thumbs forward grip, right? That, that, that particular grip relies on a lot of crush grip strength, right? Now, just because you have that doesn't mean that you still can't beat the trigger like it owes you money and miss, but it seems like a lot of really, really good shooters have at least that much crush grip strength, right? There's a certain basic level uh, that you have to have to be able to succeed. And that was one of the things that uh, in my big eight-hour talk, one of the few things I've added to it is uh, one of the things I always try to figure out when you look at Cirillo's examples, like, you know, when he was screening people for his stakeout unit, he was really fond of people who had played athletics. And there's a theory out there that... Um, when it comes to shooting well, you've got three different balance systems. You've got your eyes, you've got the inner ears, and you've got, you know, proprioception, your general awareness of your body in space. And one of the authors I've been reading, uh, he goes by the name of Mike Ox, talks about how um, if, you trans if you have poorly developed balance, right, and then you have to use your eyes for the shooting, well, you've lost a good part of your balance. And that fear of falling is something that humans innately have. So he makes a pretty compelling argument to me that if I do something as simply, um, I have a large degree of balance without using my eyes, that will allow me to have the motor skills, uh, make my motor skills more likely to manifest them in itself, uh, in an actual fight because my eyes aren't going to be needed for, to maintain balance as part of that process. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I found it a fascinating take on it and I, it matches up really well with some of the questions I've been asking for a long time, you know, for example, that Cirillo question of, you know, why did he prefer to find people with athletes, you know, and I'd always argue that was because they probably had a large amount of kinesthetic intelligence, but I think I, I would bet dollars to donuts that that kinesthetic intelligence is uh, basically based in a higher sense of balance than the, the average person. Huh. I'm thinking about this for a second. Okay. Okay. I can dig that is so what you're really saying is that if people really want to get good at gunfighting they need to go to yoga that would be one avenue or you know just <laughs> what i do is like when you get when you get out of the shower just you know close your eyes and stand on one foot you know apparently uh, uh there's a lot of people that can't do that and you know there is you know the great thing dude, we live in the golden age of information and we're sitting here talking exchanging what what do we know from life experience our researchers and stuff like that Dude, there's a ton of podcasts out there. If you, you know, go to YouTube, you know, the second largest search engine in the world and say 
improve my balance, you know, exercises for that, you're going to find a huge amount of information. Just, you know, pick one of those programs and do it. You know, we are, really are in the golden age of you know, information. There's a lot of it. Some of it's actually even good. Well, I mean, you mentioned other podcasts. I'm like, there are no other podcasts. There's only one podcast. I'm kidding. Um, there are no other podcasts, only Zool. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping that you would catch that subtle reference. And um, we are, we're, we're simpatico here. Um, huh. So it all boils down to there are so many pieces to this that as you sort of said earlier and as we i think we coined the phrase um a number of years ago you can't just focus on one area of this you have to take a holistic approach well it's a free country you can do whatever you want but the people that are most successful in the field certainly go after this in multiple domains and the Mm -hmm. other important thing is a lot of the stuff we're talking about it doesn't, it's not just limited to the world of shooting, it's going to have huge benefits. So, you know, for instance, being physically fit, um, you know, you're far more likely to die of the diseases of civilization, whether it's heart disease, diabetes, stroke, that kind of stuff, than you are being the victim of criminal assault. And, you know, the great thing about being physically fit is it has huge benefits there, as well as making you more likely to survive a gunfight. So I like those, uh, those win-win options. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, if you can better yourself in ways that impact the entirety of your life outside of, you know, the thing that you may only do on a, you know, nice sunny day with your buddies on the range, uh, it's probably, probably good. Um, let me ask you this. Are you excited about anything right now? Have any, you know, classes upcoming that you're looking forward to or, uh, new products that were released that you're like, okay, that looks cool. Like we're coming up on the end of the show. So this is, this is free time for, for you to just go ham with whatever you would like. So um, as far as uh, I, I think that gear is one of the, the least important things out there, as long as you have something, a decent tool uh, it's the person that wields it. That's far more important. So, um, you know, as far as stuff coming up and stuff like that, last year was my first year hanging out my shingle. Uh, I never did like a thank you post to everybody, but for all the people that put up with me in the first year, it was a very great learning experience. And uh, the second year is looking really good um, because of family commitments. I'm pretty much limited to one road class a month and I'm pretty much getting booked up at this point. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I wrote out a new class uh, down at Carl Renz where I combined um, It's basically uh, the class right now is called uh, defeating violent criminals, a conceptual and tactical analysis so it takes a lot of the information that our dear departed friend William April tried to convey to people as far as, you know, understanding criminals or motivations, uh, you know, spending half the day talking about that and then spending the other half looking at some case studies such as New Hall in Miami to, to better understand that. So um, being able to do those two classroom uh, classes has been really strong for me. Uh, I think I'm going to be in Phoenix in August. We're just trying to finalize some dates there. Uh, to run those two classes, uh, you know, because a lot, it's a great off-season treat. You know, nobody really wants to go to the range in August in Phoenix, but we can all sit inside and listen to John talk. Um, I'll be rolling out the uh, the the one-day version of Cognitive Pistol went really really well. Uh, I'm looking forward to the two-day version of Cognitive Pistol. Uh, what two-day will let me do is it will also you know we'll, we'll cover a lot of the same material. We'll just do it at a more reasonable pace and you know slide in a few more incremental steps to make that process um, a little bit more seamless. So, you know, I'm looking forward to TACCON as always. 
Um, but I'm hoping, you know, 2022 will go as well as 2021 did as far as the whole training gig goes. You know, I'm looking forward to, to traveling and, and teaching. It's one of those things that I live for. So definitely looking forward to that. That's great. If people want to sign up for your classes, where can they do that at? So uh, I'm, I'm horrible about this, but there is a website that has my site, uh, my class listings. It's jhern.com. Uh, my business is Two Pillars Training. I have the URL reserved. I'm in the process of moving the, uh, the website there. So Two Pillars Training on Facebook will get you there. I'm on Instagram there as well. Um, and also, if you just search for John Hearn on Eventbrite, uh, the stuff that I'm hosting myself will pop up there as well. Awesome. John, thank you so much for taking time to uh, come and ramble with me. I uh, really appreciate it. You're one of my favorite people and uh, you've been a really good friend to me and I appreciate that too. So I, I don't buy cheese for everybody, sir. Well, that, Hey, it was lovely cheese as well. Wow. This is such an inside reference that most people are going to be like, huh? But that's okay. It's for me and John. It's not for you. It's for us. Uh, anyway, I appreciate it a lot, man. I uh, hope to hope to see you soon. I'm hoping to see you in May. So, uh, and that'll be a great time. So uh, be safe, brother, okay? You do the same, sir. All right. Hey, guys, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com, like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And hey, keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes if you think we burned it. Really helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week. Bye.